Welcome to Daikaiju Network's commentary of Pacific Rim Uprising. We have a very healthy obsession with Kaiju here. I am your co-host, Kent. With me is your other co-host. Yo, yo, yo. This is Jason. What's up? So here we are, Pacific Rim Uprising, the sequel to the surprisingly hit uh Pacific Rim sequel from 2013. That's not to say that, oh, by the way, here is uh, my son Lincoln. He's going to join us. He's never seen this before, so this is going to be his first time watching it. Um, Not to say that back in 2013, I didn't think Pacific Rim wasn't going to, well, at the time I was hoping it would do okay and it'd be nice to get a sequel, but I never thought we would. And then a couple years went by and then news came out that we were getting a sequel. So, um, I, this was my choice uh, f- to do this commentary here. Uh, one of the reasons why I picked it was because it has been a while since I've seen it. I think the last time I watched it was late-ish uh, 2018 on home media. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one I've been wanting to revisit for a while, and I know my son Lincoln had never seen it, and he usually tends to join us, especially when we do these commentaries, because he loves watching these films. So I figured this is one of the very few kaiju films left that he has yet to see. Um, so that's part of it. And, and this has been kind of uh, stuck in my craw for a while in terms of wanting to go back and revisit it. it like I said, it's been... a over two years, I think. Don't quote me on that, but I think it has been about two years since I last seen this, and um, just have been wanting to to watch it again. So, um, before we get on, Jason, is there any sort of uh, housekeeping we need to do? Uh, typically, nothing really. I mean, you can just see everything on the ticker there. Just make sure to follow us and also subscribe to us on our following uh, streaming channels as well as subscribing to us on our uh, audio podcast channels or social media as well. You can see down there, listen and watch anywhere. And also, happy Super Bowl Sunday, by the way. Um, Super Bowl Sunday today for those of us who watch American football. Definitely. So, um, whoever you're rooting for... uh, as well as uh, good luck to all the, uh, the players and as, as well as participating teams that are playing today. Uh, Kansas Except City and So obviously you know who Kent's uh, rooting for for tonight. <laughs> but yeah, I've for got me, a personal beef with Mahomes. So, but uh, for me, I'm going also going for the goat uh, tonight. I think. If he wins, I think this would be his uh, seventh. Yeah, seventh championship. So, uh, so yeah. But otherwise, uh, good luck to both teams uh, later the Chiefs, on tonight. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, um, otherwise, uh, for me, I have not seen uh, Pacific Rim Uprising since the first viewing uh, when it came out in theater. So I wondered about that. It's been at least uh, when, when did this movie come out? Twenty eighteen. It was. I want to say it was like March of twenty eighteen. Yeah. So, so let me that double was, check that. That was the first and last time that I have seen this movie was uh, was in theaters for the first time, and it was a one and done for me. And I have not even seen this since. I can March thirtieth. Yep. I can vaguely remember uh, some of the sequences to the movie. Otherwise, I 
can't remember <laughs> a lot of what happened. So let me ask you this, because uh, you you are renting it for this commentary. You don't yeah. own it. So did this movie – and I don't even remember our discussion uh, for this. I, I think both of us, by and large, enjoyed it because I remember after that G-Fest last year, I remember saying that one particular panel that involved talking about Uprising uh, was my, not only my least favorite panel at that year's G-Fest, but probably the worst panel I've ever heard at a G-Fest because it was all negativity um did this movie like just not impress you you not like this like um i'm not entirely sure my feelings were talked about it i think it was sort of maybe in the middle of the road or a little bit above average uh sort of say i can't i really don't Remember what I gave the score for it? I need to be better <laughs> at some of this. I think both of us need to at least be better of some of our past uh, reactions. And We've done so scores. much, though. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to keep track of. <laughs> yeah, I think you should try to write some of these things down. <laughs> but uh, I would at least fairly say that it probably was sort of between in the middle of the road and maybe a slightly above average. Uh, for my uh, uh, overall opinion on this movie, but um, it possibly could have could be changed uh, while viewing uh, this for the first time since viewing it in theaters for the first time a few years ago. So yeah. Okay, so because Jason had to uh, digitally rent it, the movie for him starts right as the Universal logo on the film comes up. So if you're going to play along uh, with us uh, either live or if you're listening to this in the future, um, you'll want to sync your um, movie up to that point. So – do that. It's just right as the Universal logo is coming up on the movie. So I'm ready. Um, are you ready? Uh, yes, I am ready. I just need to make sure that this uh, pop-up uh, video player thing <laughs> goes for me. Because <laughs> I'll because I'll need to press it twice. Okay, uh, give me the okay when you're you're good. Okay, I'm good. So what? I said I'm good. Oh, okay. So I'm going to go three, two, one, go. When I say go, that's when you hit play on on whatever device you're you're using this on. Okay. So here we go. Three, two, one, go. All right, and then put up the uh, commentary cam, so we won't have to see us for the remainder of the time. Okay, so I really like this Universal thing here. Universal's one of those um, studios that that gets pretty creative with their things. The first one I remember sort of changing their logos was um, Warner Brothers back in 1995 with Batman Forever. Um, I remember that. I'm not saying they're the first, but that's the first one I remember doing that. And I I saw that, and I was like, whoa, that's cool. (laughs) I know Universal and Warner Brothers that they typically – sort of uh, change some of these things. Yeah, like most studios are doing something like this a lot of the Disney time. Disney sort of does it from time to time, but they typically keep it 
the way it is. So Lincoln here, like, gosh, maybe it was a month and a half or so ago, I uh, had uh, I, I put in the first uh, Pacific Rim, and then, like, I think in the final 30, 40 minutes, he fell asleep. <laughs> um, so he never saw the ending of that. He saw most of it. Um, but for me personally, um, Pacific Rim Uprising is, uh, you know, a little bit of a step down from the first film. Um, I just think the storytelling took a, a bit of a step back. Um, you know, spoiler warning for anyone who hasn't seen this. There, there really is no real kaiju action until the end. Um, so that was a bit of a downer for me, too. And then one of the other things... I would say as well as that we don't get some of the the main cast or crew coming back for Except this. Mako. Although, although they do they do have you know at least a few of them come back, but they don't have like some of the main. But except for Mako. <laughs> Well, John Boyega, I think, is pretty good in this. Uh, prior to Uprising, the only thing that I had seen him in, uh, I had uh, er, the year before purchased the Force Awakens Blu-ray. Um, a huge regret uh, in my life, and <laughs> I thought he. I thought you know. I mean, I didn't. I didn't care for the film. Uh, in fact, I don't care for any of the new Star Wars films. In fact, after Force Awakens, I haven't seen episodes eight or nine but um i'd say you're not right i, I thought he was okay and <laughs> yeah that's what i heard after i heard how terrible eight was i was like okay <laughs> yeah i think but i thought this movie uh, go ahead i i thought this movie still was pretty decent I, I mean it's unfortunate we don't get a whole lot of kaiju action in it um but the final battle I thought was still really good. It's in Tokyo. Uh, it's very reminiscent in that way, sort of an homage to the tokusatsu genre. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, though, too, in, in some respects, it does expand this particular world. And, and the characters here, I think, are still good. They're not as great as what we had the previous film. Mm -hmm. um, but I also but, like um, when... When the movie started here a few minutes ago, that they sort of talked of what happened from the first movie for those that didn't uh, get in on the first movie and decided to jump into the sequel here, that they still get some of the backstory of what happened. Well, and two, when this movie came out, it was five years from the last one. Although, so quite a bit of time had passed. But with the sequel here, I think it was set 20 years after the first Yeah, the events. sequel was. Yes. Which is sort of weird in a way. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I think, though, too, this movie has gotten a little bit of a bad rap. A lot of people kind of dismiss it. I, I think I think it's still pretty worthwhile. I mean, there, there's other films out there that I, I think are definitely less than. But the thing is, is that anytime you have 
a film like a Pacific Rim or a Dark Knight or what have you, it any sort of follow-up is going to disappoint because those types of films are one of a kind. And like in the case of The Dark Knight, that's like a once-in-a-generation type of film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously a lot of people are going to have high expectations. I'm not saying you shouldn't have high expectations for things, but I think you need to have – realistic expectations and um you know guillermo del toro didn't direct this one but again still with what we were given i still think it's good yeah they abandoned kind of the animal-esque design of some of the kaiju and they came with more uh, generic type of of kaiju designs i'm okay with that that doesn't bother me i know for some uh, people that bugs them um but i still think what we got here is decent mm-hmm. and i don't know did this thing make much money because this movie pulled an independence day resurgence where at the very end uh it has a scene where you know your main character one of your main characters goes after another character and they're um what's the word i'm looking for they're 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 i keep forgetting words and phrases they talk about an upcoming battle you know a big battle and they're building up for a sequel yeah i think that it was originally supposed to be maybe a trilogy or something of the sort if i can vaguely remember that uh they're i think with this one that they were trying to set up for a third uh, movie but we haven't really heard much since although that they're doing a tv show for netflix and then i think from what i've heard that uh guillermo del toro was uh sort of thinking about uh trying to get another pacific rim movie going but it seems like he doesn't really quite want to be part of it uh, so what i wise but uh, as far as the box office here that you were asking about it uh almost reached uh 291 million yeah i that's what i'm seeing too i was about to say that they were saying so technically according to what what i'm reading here it did underperform uh so it did lose money they were saying here it had to gross about 350 million to break even Mm -hmm. I really like this part where we sort of got a hint of it with Hannibal Chow, the Ron Perlman character in the last film, where he harvested kaiju for their organs and their guano and and a bunch of other stuff. And he sold them and he was this filthy rich guy. Uh, but here we get more of a black market, every man blue collar type of person doing it here. And – I do like this because in a world like this, kaiju exists and you got Jaegers and and all this other stuff. um, It it makes sense that something like this would go on because at least off the top of my head, and I could be wrong about this, I can't really think of any other kaiju films 
where you had the main character or characters involved in such things as harvesting kaiju or doing some sort of black market stuff that involved kaiju and uh, were trying to make a living off of doing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's sort of interesting that maybe a couple decades after the uh, first movie taking place here that uh, everything has sort of changed since from like more of the military doing all these uh, you know, missions and so on and so, f- so forth. But then after a couple decades later that it's sort of uh, going by w- where everyday uh, people sort of build these own robots, like this gal here. Yeah, Amara. And, yeah, and, yeah, and just sort of you know doing their own things and trying to help out, defend themselves or family uh, or towns. Uh, that sort of thing, and then yeah. and then hear that they're not even doing the like the twin, you know, link up like what we saw with the Jaegers in the first movie here, but uh, well, with her robot, but with some of these other Jaegers that they're still doing it, which is sort yeah. of unique in its own right, kind of showing like that whole Gundam esque. Uh, sort of vibe in a way. Well, and Evangelion. I'm not familiar with Evangelion, so I can't I've, really comment on that. But I've I've seen uh, the show many years ago. It's it's sort of sort of the same like Gundam, but where you have these more uh, higher level beings that come down to Earth and so on. But yeah, it's been a long time since I've last seen actually both of those series. And you get like a Jaeger police force here too. I think that's pretty cool too. That's something we never saw. And sort of a robot and road robot chain uh, chase. Now it's I mean, I got the volume up here, but it's sort of hard for me to hear everything. Part of it is because we're talking pretty frequently, but also I got my headphones on here. Did they say, like, from the end of the last movie to now that, by and large, kaiju have never returned, right? Yeah, I think the... If uh, I remember correctly. Yeah, because I think the rift comes at a certain time. uh, Once every certain amount of years. Uh, so to speak, I think. Because I know they used they used the um, gypsy danger to blow up. Um, gosh, what's that alien race called? Um, the precursors. Um, they they blew up their world, and also that was supposed to close the rift as well. But I again, this has been a couple of years since I've seen this. And um, I, I couldn't remember if if the kaiju, by and large, were done for a while, or if there had been the occasional sighting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
This is like the BB-8 of <laughs> Pacific Rim. Or like Bumblebee. <laughs> and it's also pretty cool that uh, that over the years you get some of these bones of bones or remains of kaiju sort of scattered on land or all over the place on the planet sort of pretty unique you would think though that on some level they'd be working to try to like dispose of them like just throw them in the ocean or something like that that or at least uh take the time to sort of revive some of these uh cities that have been devastated like what we saw in that town where a lot of the buildings were sort of toppled over or you know the whole place is ruined Forgive me here. I have to take part of my. I need to <laughs> try to see what or or hear what they're saying because I don't think other than just talking about what I've been seeing, <laughs> I, I haven't been able to really hear much of what they're saying. What do you think it's so far, Lincoln? Good. You can go get one. I should have worn my Kaiju Hunter t-shirt today. I've done a couple demo runs for that new Monster Hunters Rise game. I thought it was okay. But I'm still trying to decide of what next big game I want to play, even though I've got a couple on my gaming PC here. I have many games. Um, some I either just scratched the surface of or others I still haven't even touched on various systems. Yeah, so far I've yet to touch cyberpunk for for obvious reasons because there's some <laughs> there needs to be some patchwork to the game although the pc from i heard it's it's so it's okay one of my friends but, has been playing and she's been posting some not suitable for work photos on her twitter and i'm just <laughs> like i like this game <laughs> and then uh and then i've got godfall from what I've seen, it looks pretty good, but I've yet to play that. Um, and then, and then I got a free copy of Star Wars Battlefront Two from a uh, Epic Games promo where they were uh, giving out certain games for download for free. So I got. That. I have that game for Xbox One, and that's one of the games I haven't even touched. But it looks like we can do a, a co-op or online play with that. We can do that over different consoles? Yeah, should be able to. And oh. my gaming PC, it's set up with uh, Xbox stuff for it. Oh. 
And then, so getting back to the movie yeah. here, um, <laughs> I, you know, a lot of people sort of like the Godzilla 2014 film. They were very disappointed that Brian Cranston was killed off in that film. Here, when they kill off Mako, spoilers, by the way. <laughs> um, hey, it's Clint Eastwood. No, it's his son. But um, when they kill off Mako here, a lot of people were disappointed in that. And the thing is, is I tell people, okay, yes, you hate to see beloved characters die, but you hear a lot of times from the Game of Thrones crowd, especially those that read the books, where they always kind of... Um, the, they and I don't want this to sound bad, but I don't know how else to sell it or, or say it. Excuse me, um, and I don't mean this in a bad way. But when they cry in a good way, that George R. R. Martin has like killed one of their favorite characters or one of the big characters, mm-hmm. um, they always consider that you know not only a sad thing but kind of a good thing for the overall story. And for many movies, for many years, it was rare to kill off like a major character in a film. And now you're starting to see it a bit more in recent years. And I think it's a good thing that they do that because it shows that some of these characters are not immune. You know, you get sort of that stereotypical immunity in certain films. Like, you know, like let's let's talk about like a Rambo film from the 80s. You know darn well Rambo's making it out at the end. You know, like that's a given. But you get a film – like Godzilla, Pacific Rim 2, they kill off, you know, one of the, the big, you know, uh, either characters, um, uh, you know, who is either portrayed by a big actor or a recurring character that had a big part in a previous film or films. Um, people have been really complaining about that. And I keep telling people, guys, I think it's a good thing that they do this because it shows that. They are not immune, and it shows that nothing is sort of sacred in these worlds, that it it, it ups the stakes more when you have some of these big characters die. And um, I think that's a good thing. I know a lot of people don't like it. But then, too, you heard for many years – well, they need to do something to create higher stakes and maybe kill a big character. Well, then they finally do it in some of these films, and then you get a lot of people complaining about it. And I'm like, well, you, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned about doing something like that, but when they actually do it, then you sort of backtrack on what you wanted. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. I mean, sure, it's sad when they do that, but – I don't lose sleep over it. <laughs> when Brian Cranston died in Godzilla, I'm like, well, that sucks. But eh. like, I never, you know, <laughs> it never bothered me. It, it made me realize, okay, that we're in a high stakes film where anything goes. Yeah. But yeah, with uh, Scott Scott Eastwood, son of uh, Clint Eastwood, he sort of really looks like his dad. He does, yeah. And heck, he's exactly a week younger than I am, which he was born on March 21st of 86. (laughs) Really? He's that young? I thought he was older than I. (laughs) Nope. I thought so, too, until I just looked at his uh, uh, little profile here that he was born on March 21st. Hmm. 
Because, I mean, just by looking, you know, just watching this movie and just seeing his appearance, he looks <laughs> even older than I am, but he's actually <laughs> a week younger than me. I know. I thought he was, like, at least a couple of years older than I. Kaiju. Oh, I guess I was wrong. I guess we do get a little... Again, see, I'm telling you. <laughs> I haven't seen this in a while. Yeah, we, now we're already getting our first kaiju action probably with actually no this is simulation i remember this is simulation (laughs) oh yes see but still after after not seeing this for a few years i sort of forget (laughs) but you can say that you get some first kaiju action within 15 or so minutes yeah <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Wow, I did not realize that uh, Scott Eastwood was in Suicide Squad. Didn't know that either. And then he was in Texas Chainsaw. Whatever. <laughs> I see that he was at least in a couple, maybe a couple of movies that his father was in. Of course he is. <laughs> so, I want to recommend a book to people uh, that is Pacific Rim Uprising related. It's called Pacific Rim Uprising Ascension. And I read this like a month or two after I first saw this film back in 2018. And it's a prequel novel, obviously, to this. And typically I don't care for prequel novels because a lot of them tend to be uberly disappointing by – a lot of it is character work, and it's not good character work. I did that with Independence Day Resurgence. I think that one was called Independence Day Crucible, if I remember. I got 100 pages into it, and I said, nope, and called it quits because there was nothing really interesting going on there. And, and even the character work that was being done just wasn't interesting. It just wasn't good. So, But in Ascension um, – it's written by Greg, Gregory Keyes, who is writing, by the way, the upcoming Godzilla vs. Kong novelization. So the, there's are that. You, are you planning on getting that, by the way? I already pre-ordered it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> yes. Um, but this is a prequel novel, and let me double-check here, but I believe it follows the Russian brother and sister here specifically because they're the kids of the couple that piloted Chernobyl Alpha film. Um, let me see here. And since you pre-ordered that Godzilla vs. Khan novel, did you, did you uh, pre-order that uh, children's book? I, uh, I did. I <laughs> did. 
Okay, so no, it, uh, it does have the gal, the uh, Victoria Marikova and Ouyang Jinhai, who, who is that character in this film? Let me go back here. Um, Sounds like that uh, blonde, blonde lady that's in this movie. The, yeah, the Victoria is the one. Um, come on here, I just had it. Oh, here. Let me see. Oh, young Jinhai. Let me see if I can find. Just a moment here, pal. Gosh, how come I can't find it? Where are you? Cadet, okay. So, um, Cadet Jinhai is the one who is Amara's partner and cadet who pilots Jaeger Bracer Phoenix in this film. So, it follows those two. And this prequel novel, I think, on some level, may potentially disappoint some folks um, because there isn't a ton of, I guess you could say, um, Again, I'm forgetting words. I don't know why that is. It's like I'm up giving a presentation in front of the class, and then I get brain farts. Um, There's nothing – there's very little action that happens in the way of consequential action. There we go. Um, But what is so good about Ascension is that we get to know these characters better, and it is good. It's not like something like Independence Day Crucible where it's just ridiculous stuff. (laughs) Um, We get to learn about both of these characters' parents and kind of their their death and their involvement in fighting kaiju. Uh, There is quite a bit of action, but the action involves the simulation but it's still really cool because you get action and it's written very well. Um, the character stuff, like I said, is done pretty well too. And it gives you a nice introduction to those characters here in the grand scheme of things. Does not matter much? Not really? No, because sadly those characters are in this film. But it's still um, interesting. I still would recommend it. I think it's well-written, and it's one of the better prequel novels to a film I've ever read. Yeah, for me, I don't typically watch (laughs) uh, some of these uh, novelized books in a way. I think, if I can remember, I probably have read a couple it was many many years ago when we were in grade school and i can't remember the last novelized book that i read but i think it was pretty good i love novelizations um in fact i collect quite a few of them um, I'm actually going to get rid of like five of them here shortly. They're they're based off of the Resident Evil films, simply because even though I do like those films, I'm just like eh, like I'm not in love with them, you know. Um, so I'm just figuring I need more book speaking speaking space anyways. So <laughs> you heard that uh, they're rebooting uh, the Resident Evil movies. Sadly. <laughs> I mean, you know, those will probably definitely follow the the games more than what the the last 
sixology or whatever the term is for the six films. Those, I, I mean, look, I'm not a Resident Evil gamer. I played Resident Evil 2 at one point and I got stuck. And as a result, I hated it. And I got stuck with the first same 30 seconds. <laughs> and I just said, no. I like the movies, though. I've only seen uh, two of them, and they were the first two. And then after that, never, <laughs> never really bothered to see the others. Resident Evil Extinction is okay. Uh, it, it's I Was think that my the least third one. Fav- That's the third one. It's probably my least favorite out of the the whole thing. Then the one that comes after that, I think it's called Afterlife. Now I got to look all these up. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then also that uh, for those of you out there that like. Uh, the Cloverfield movies, they're basically in talks of uh, doing a direct sequel to the first Cloverfield movie. I do have that trilogy, by the way. I think we need to cover it. We should cover those one of these days. I've, I know I've seen uh, 10 uh, Cloverfield Lane movie, but I've never seen a third one. I've only seen the first one. It made me motion sick, but... <laughs> yeah, I remember um, seeing that with you, and I think with... Our sister, if she was with us, or it's just the two. No, we didn't see that in theaters. No, because I could have sworn we did. Because I remember that was like in two thousand eight. I was in college. I the only time I saw it was I bought the DVD when it came out, and I watched it once, and that was it. But yeah, I but I at least um, I at least remember seeing that in theaters. Um, Resident Evil Afterlife is the one that comes after Extinction. That is good. The one after that, Resident Evil Retribution, is good. And I think Resident Evil, the final chapter, is is good too. So Extinction is the only one that I think is kind of a downer. But otherwise, I think the first one I think is the best. But the other ones minus Extinction are are pretty good. Mm -hmm. But anyways, back to (laughs) – here we go. Pacific Rim here. We keep going on these teams. we got to stop that. Hey, sometimes there's nothing wrong with it. You know, you know, it's sitting here with some some of the fans out there watching the movie and just sort of hearing us talk. You know, <laughs> sometimes off tangent instead of just always focusing on <laughs> the movie, just trying to come up with certain things it would be funny we said hey let's watch a movie and every single word of our conversation from beginning to end has nothing to do with the movie (laughs) i mean it's it's always good to sort of talk you know sort of different things in between because i mean you know for us i know at times we typically condense a lot of stuff that maybe 15 or so minutes and then for the rest of the time we don't really talk much about the movie by the way you were talking earlier that other than Mako Moore we do get Byrne Gorman and Charlie Day coming back playing Mm -hmm. reprising their roles as Herman Gottlieb and Dr. Newt Geisler and I can at least remember I can at least remember that within this movie that uh charlie day's character uh, if if i can uh go back here uh, cast. newt i just yeah, said doctor 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 newt that he is sort of like the antagonist in this film which was sort of sort of a twist 
It was nice, yeah. Spoilers Again, that way. It's like the rules aren't safe. But he's technically his character isn't the villain. It's the precursors grabbing nice. hold of him because yeah. because I think he was able because he keeps part of a kaiju brain in his apartment, and I think it has something to do. Yeah, because he yeah, uh, sort of controls his with mind. it so much. Yeah, yeah, he drifts with it so much that it makes his mind malleable for the precursors to grab a hold of him. Yeah, because on his uh, character's little bio here, it says, Brainwash, former scientist and officer in the PPDC who becomes the emiss- emissary of the precursors after his mind is taken over by them. And what we get coming up here, I think, is another creative move here uh, by the writers. You get this evil Jaeger, and it's not just an evil Jaeger. And again, I know I'm getting ahead of ourselves, and I probably shouldn't, but trying to make a point here. But it's also good cinematography for this uh, sequence. Yeah, but this Jaeger, we eventually find out, is piloted with a kaiju brain. Which is sort of interesting. Again, I, it's world building. Mm-hmm. I would have tried to reach out and grab that thing. Oh, yeah. too late. Oh, sure. Let's save the hell up. Oh, okay. Okay, well, a number of people died. In, okay, never mind. I guess you just want to save as many as you can. <laughs> We get great effects work here. I mean, all of this looks really good. Well, not not just uh, great visual effects, but also some really good cinematography, especially in the last battle scene where they're in Tokyo, where they do like the yeah, kind of like the uh, sort of the point of view if you were in a Jaeger, and then sort of going like seeing the camera moving in, like, very interesting ways. This is a movie that never, even within a a large chunk of the kaiju community, never gets the respect it deserves, which just shocks me. Mm Mm-hmm. And granted, like I said, there you know, there's very little in the way of kaiju battles here except for the end. But you do get this – I think this Jaeger's name is Black Obsidian, if I remember correctly. Um, you get this, and it is fun battles. And it, technically, like I said, it is con- uh, controlled by a kaiju brain. So in a roundabout way, it is a kaiju battle. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I would say it's – like this here is like a Gundam esque battle. Exactly, yeah. Whew. That has to be hot. Like, why didn't some people get some of their clothes set on fire? <laughs> <laughs> well, if they decide to touch it, then they would be morons to do so. <laughs> well, yeah, but you would think, though, that those blades would still be hot, that they would just catch fire because of the heat. I wouldn't say so because if it was that hot, then I would say some of the metal 
that was using some of that, he would probably tend to melt. Although, By the way, if, the, if they probably used tungsten, that might be a, a little bit of a different story. And By then, the way, I, I want to talk about John Boyega here as our main character, Jake Pentecost, the son of Stacker Pentecost from the previous film. He does an incredible job. He, on, on some level, does kind of look like Idris Elba and sort of sounds like him too and all that. Um, you know, obviously they're both um, British actors, although is Idris – is he British or is he Australian? Maybe John is even um, think, Australian he here. he is – British. John Boyega is British, yes. I just see that here. I think Idris is British, too. Um, so we'll just say that. We could be wrong. <laughs> Idris Elba. Yep, he's also British. But yeah, I really think he does an incredible job here. Like I said, um, this is the second film I saw him in. Force Awakens, he is in it, but he's not in it as often here, obviously, because here he's the main character. Uh, mm. But I, I thought he was one of the very, and I mean very few, bright spots of Force Awakens. And um, I, I did like his character there. Mm. <laughs> that right there is the bad one. And then, of course, we got, fortunately, Mako passing away from the crash. Unfortunately is what you mean to say. Did I? <laughs> you said fortunately. No. Yeah, I meant to say unfortunately. <laughs> fortunately, she's dead. <laughs> We're, I'm just... He's in Jason. <laughs> now, wasn't the main character from the last film, wasn't he on that memorial as well? I don't know. I didn't quite catch a glimpse of it. Because wasn't his character's name Charlie? Yeah. Um, let me... Let's see here. Yeah, Ra uh, Riley. Riley Beckett. It's Riley, Charlie, there we go. Charlie yeah. Hun Hunman. That's I'm thinking of the actor. they got you know her to write off on that saying you know when i die sure go ahead take my brain out and use it for simulation practice who mako no they uh boyega just said sarah i see they're still using sarah is what he said Thank <sighs> you. 
But yeah, as far as the Riley character, I'm not even sure they even mentioned him at all in this movie. I thought, though, he was on that wall. Can you read, like, the character's profile or whatever? Because I thought the character um, was on that wall. Let's see here. Mm, let's see here. Under this Pacific Rim uprising, I'm not seeing anything as far as Riley. What's his full name? Riley what? Riley Beckett. Riley Beckett. Pacific Rim. Fortunately, Kent <laughs> went offline here, so just messaged him here. So hang on. There you go. He came back. I, I, I. What in the world are you doing? Why'd you do that? I know. Fix it. I I didn't change tabs when I went looking. So yeah, I was talking like, <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> um, but yeah, I read up on him. He wasn't on the memorial wall. So um, oh crap! Did we just miss the kaiju wall? I don't know. I was paying more attention just to try to. <laughs> oh, here it is, right here, right here. Like, there's, there's Varan. Oh, see, it's one of those quick. <laughs> I saw Batra yeah. on there. I know Gigan's on there too. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, the the character Riley Beckett is still around because he actually wasn't on that memorial wall. But yeah, I never really heard. Haven't really heard much of him in this, anyways. Which is sort of surprising because it it would at least be nice to know where some of these other main characters, I would say main and other characters that were in the previous film where they were at. Yeah. By the way, I know some viewers are a little disappointed that companies like Legendary and what have you have been purchased by the Chinese. Um... And as a result, it changes the makeup of some of these films, like The Meg, for example. Um, And even this one, you know, you get 
Shao Industries, which is out of China. But at the same time, I understand what what some people say or, or why they say it. But at the same time, too, I think it adds some interesting elements because in the real world, China is becoming, uh, you know, a big power player and. Like here with Shao Industries, that's on display. <laughs> and by the way, this uh, gal that I think runs the Shao uh, Industries, isn't she uh, the main the main uh, character who plays in that new Mulan movie? I don't know. You, you might have to double check that. Well, I haven't seen the new Mulan. I haven't either. All I know is that the actress uh, was getting some pushback because of her stance. I think was it on Singapore? If it is her, she does look familiar because I'm looking at her and I'm like, yeah, like I think I see that. I see that she was in Con Skull Island here. Wait a minute, what? Yeah, apparently she's listed uh, or credited in for Con Skull Island here. Let me see the filmography. Must have been a bit role or something. It says she plays as San Lin. And quite a few of the oh, other movies that, that she character. played in. Or another one before Consco Island, she was also named as Lin. I don't remember that character in Skull. It had to have been a bit part. That or maybe some sort of uh, additional scene that. China added in? <laughs> I don't know. So here's Newt uh, drifting with his lover, the part of a kaiju brain. Alice, I think, is what he calls it. Yeah, Alice, that's written right there on the tube. Yeah, I missed it because um, until it went to him getting ready to drift and getting all weird with it. <laughs> So did she not play as Mulan? Uh, not from what I'm seeing. Shows here her last one was this movie. Oh, interesting. Last appearance. She kind of looks like uh, Elizabeth Olsen. The Ivana actor who plays Victoria. <laughs> She sort of does, yeah. And maybe a little bit of Scarlett Johansson, too. Kind of. I can kind of see that. I think in the facial structure. And maybe the haircut, too. Since she plays Russian here, could be Black Widow. <laughs> <laughs> This is a Colt 45. The most powerful gun in the world. <laughs> did I use five bullets? Or did I use six? Or do you feel lucky? Punk. You only use one bullet. I gotta get something off my chest here. He just used... Um, the F word family here and look uh, here's the thing I'm of two minds about this 
on the one hand, I do like it because in the current situation that these characters find themselves in and what we see in other films, they need to act like a part of a family because otherwise, you know, you, you don't get along well if you look at them as just other people or strangers or what have you. You can't be on the same team and make progress and accomplish your ultimate goal. I get that. And I think it's always a good thing, yes, to treat people well and to treat them the way you want to be treated. But at the same time, we just see so much of it anymore in movies. It just – it gets – it's become a trope slash cliche anymore. Well, if you want to overcome things. Yeah, I know. That's what I just said. Like yeah. I, I do like that aspect because, yeah, you, you need to do that. And then again, I, it's always good to treat people well. Um, that's our PSA for maybe this episode. But at the same time, it just – because we see it so much, I'm kind of tired of it. Like maybe they could use a different term or something. Oh, well, uh- kind of term is that i mean we don't have anything else i know that gets overused too but it is kind of like you know i guess a team more or less but i you know i i'm just being nitpicky i i mean you know my enjoyment of the film is is not hampered by that but quit being so damn picky (laughs) i'm not pedantic though that's the thing (laughs) don't lie no i'm not i'm not pedantic (laughs) You do. You have a toy robot? Where? Oh, that's right. You do, yeah. We get some cool, like you were talking about, some more cool cinematography here. What I love about this, though, too, is it's in the snow, so you get the whites and the blues coming together. I always think those are cool colors. Yeah. And then you get black obsidian here with its black and kind of reddish orange colors and Yes, yeah, it's, it's like with these sort of giant monster or giant robot fights, you don't typically or rarely even see them you know battle out in these uh, Arctic environments. No, I I always think it's sort of neat. I do, too, because of not just the color palette, but like what we're seeing here, you can bust through ice into the ocean. You got beautiful um, glaciers coming coming apart and all that, too. Just it the environment becomes more of a player as well. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it's always sort of fun and how like some of these uh, what the reactions are in in these sort of environments and yeah and other things that come into play with yeah. the environment. And it's just not always you know with some of the people like maybe get some of the joy of you know, with all these giant monsters or robots colliding within buildings or destroying buildings, but there's also other things outside of that environment where things can be destroyed or, you know, crumbled down, like, you know, 
frozen ice or mountains and that sort of thing. Yeah. Obsidian Fury. I knew Obsidian was was uh, part of the name. And so now they know. That was the brain piling Obsidian Fury. This sort of reminds me of like the kids in the show of Gamera movies where they're like, <laughs> Gamera versus Jiger. Yeah. When they were in, when they go inside of uh, Gamera and just try to fend off all the uh, Jiger. The Jiger baby. Yeah. Not sure what happened, but was it like the alien blood that was? It was acidic. So, so you're saying that the xenomorphic aliens are part of this universe? Don't even get me started on that franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I think the decision, though, to move forward with Stacker's son, um, I think it it's a good decision because after the events of the first film where they use Gypsy Danger to go nuclear to destroy the precursors and to close that rift, it would be really contrived and um, 
useless to, let's say, have a sequel that took place a couple of years afterwards, because then they would be, in a sense, um, kind of breaking their own rules after they close that rift. And then if it's if, if the precursors are able to open up another one within a very short period of time, then what was the point of all that sacrifice? It makes what the characters in the first film did null and void and not important whereas here it makes the events of what happened there matter and just makes it more quote-unquote realistic (laughs) well then also sort of finding other avenues of trying to make this story work well yeah and i mean i i just think though too i think that's something that a lot of fans don't um, iteration if they're not if if they're not big on this is that the decision to make this film two decades further when you think about it it makes sense because it also validates and uh, validates the first film and it really makes what the characters did in that first movie really important as well instead of just coming back saying two three five years later that i mean if, if you did it in the five-year range maybe you could get away with it but even then i still think that's too soon to like have the precursors open up another rift especially since obviously again when gypsy went nuclear uh it took out most if not it took out most of their world so it just again really hammers it home that what stacker did and and all that um, mattered. Mm-hmm. You say that, and then you probably will. quite a harsh penalty for you know you go inside obsidian fury yeah unfortunately one of your teammates gets injured but you know it's not like you were trying to kill him (laughs) you know it was an accident i mean i understand this whole thing for top secret but being expelled i think that's pretty extreme Mm mm-hmm You know what they could have made interesting is um, uh, Gene High there who got injured. If that blood was able to manifest in him and have like a creep, either turn him into a precursor type creature or some other weird bastardization or, of a creature. Yeah, just sort of yeah. made him into. Yeah. You could have played with that somehow, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> This is interesting here coming up. Shao Industries. I like this here too because again, um, 
it's something new and different. Sure, in a way, when you think about it, the fact that this kaiju type brain somehow morphing metal and wires which, and all that into some which, of its appendages is kind of goofy. Which it really has that. Like which it really has that Evangelion vibe to it. Because I know in some of the episodes where they sort of mutate that way. Yeah, and and I mean it's kind of an homage to that. And I really look, it's goofy and it doesn't make sense technically, but I like it. it. It looks cool and it's fun. And I think too, especially here when it's happening at the PPDC um, headquarters here, it, it again raises the stakes. Mm-hmm. Oh, shoot. I think we're missing Cat Bull. <laughs> Come on, we're, we're watching this right now. <laughs> yeah, it is Kitten Bull. <laughs> I was just about to say, really? (laughs) Really do like the action in this sequence. It is good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm beating him with a cane. I would think that gun firing would be pretty loud in there. Well, in the actual life, it would be loud. Especially in an enclosed area. Because I know when I've gone to the gun range and stuff, you gotta at least have some decent earmuffs when you're indoors. What? Here we go. And that's always been a great twist because initially here, you don't realize that he's under precursor control. It's not until later that you find out that's the case. Yeah, which, and I love this here too. Which Herman, which Herman, no. Ready finds out. And it's also pretty unique how 
these controlled Jaegers from the precursors that they're trying to open the rift. You keep reading my mind because I was just about to say that. I, I was about to say how I think it's really cool and unique that, that they do this. It's a it's a creative way of bringing the precursors back into this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, these large hangars, they need to figure out a way to close those doors faster. Yeah. Or just hide them well. I will say, though, I, I, and this is a nitpick, too, I sort of don't care for the fact that Herman immediately figures out that it's precursors. It'd be great if he had a little bit of time and, like, maybe there were some breadcrumbs that went in that direction. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're like, somehow the doors seem to close faster, but yet just a few moments ago, when one of the lieutenants got killed, they were going really slow. Personally, he trips her with this cane and just starts whacking away. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no harm. make any uh, figures of, of these um, monster Jaegers? I'm not even sure if they've really done any figures for Pacific Rim Uprising. I know that they've done... I know they did because I had Jaegers and Kaiju, Kaiju at, one t- at one point. For the, for the Rim. And I know they made some of the Jaegers because I'd seen Gypsy Avenger. Yeah. 
but I'm not sure that they've done figures for Pac-Ram Uprising. That's a terrific opportunity because, again, those things are cool. Let me check here. Icky. My brain exploded. And then (laughs) make matters worse. Oh, but this kaiju here. Oh, I remember this part. Oh, no, we're getting sliced in half. And then on top of that, the rift closed before fully out. And oh, (laughs) one got taken care of. Sounds like he's saying britches instead of breaches. <laughs> the britches are closed. <laughs> yeah. Seeing Diamond Select Pacific Rim Uprising Kaiju Drone 7 inch action figure from eBay. What you're looking for has ended. Let's see. View original. Just want to take a good look. Yeah, apparently they did make figures of these. Oh, cool. From uh, Diamond Select. Interesting. But this uh, eBay advertised... eBay... (laughs) 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 I'm... Seller? Yeah, the seller. Boy, I'm sort of acting like you right now, but uh, (laughs) uh, the, uh, the final price for this went for... Almost 145 bucks. I see. That was the thing. I I thought if they did have them, I'm sure those things were going for decent money. Uh, let's check. Okay, so there's something here from Amazon showing here the uh, Saber Athena action figure. check their store yeah there is uh they do have one here on amazon for the uh, drone kaiju but uh, they only have one left in stock and it's going for a hundred bucks send me the link here will do send it here via google bad boy that is pretty cool I do like that I like like the legs there they're very uh, theropod dinosaur like mm-hmm. it kind of has it really does have that Evangelion look I do like that if I had the dough I would <laughs> nab it I like those things too What are you thinking still, Lincoln? About the movie? Good like a birthday cake. Good like a birthday cake. <laughs> <laughs> I've never I've never heard that before. I haven't either.
And, of course, one of these scenes here that they're discussing of ways to try to take care of, of what's going on currently in this film. And then cue in the Pacific Rim theme with some montages. How was the pee break? <laughs> you weren't supposed to be. <laughs> I've been drinking a lot of water. <laughs> I'm actually pretty proud of myself. I'm going on, let's see, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh, I'm going on my sixth day without alcohol. <laughs> well, for me, I am drinking alcohol, but I saw that. Hard seltzer. <laughs> The, the seltzers. seltzers. Oh man, I'm I've the, sort of been I've sort of been trying to gradually you know get away from the regular beers. So like the first first round of this year, I did the regular beers, and then the second round, I changed to uh, hard ciders, and then now I'm doing the hard seltzers. <laughs> we shouldn't even be talking about this in a commentary, but <laughs> like, yeah, like. Um, I I tried out hard seltzers um, last year, and I and I bought a couple of packs at various points. During the, those are good, but they're addicting because a lot of times you don't really taste it, yeah. you know. And like uh, this one here, this is from a local brewery that does do beers and stuff. But uh, uh, this is one of their hard seltzers. It's really good. Like whenever the Bud I get Light back, one is good. Um, the white claw is good, but yeah. Whenever I, uh, whenever I get the chance to get back to your guys' place, I should try to bring like a mixed, uh, a mixed box one of these. These have a lot of flavor. Sabre! 
we go suiting up. <laughs> After a montage with the uh, Pacific Rim theme. <laughs> I was just about to say, yeah, you gotta have those montages. <laughs> For, if, unfortunately, it's not the Rocky montage. I was gonna say too, but I decided against it. Like the training montage themed by Vince DiCola, and have them basically duplicate what Drago and Rocky do. <laughs> Bring in the uh, the hearts on fire, <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh, up the mountain Vince yeah. DiCola attachment to that song. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like the fact, too, that here that they're using rockets to transport the Eggers because, you know, typically in a lot of these sorts of um, moments, just have um, rockets built into the machines, you know, be a quick and easy fix. But again, I like the fact that things uh, they're, they're doing things differently here. They're thinking outside the box a little bit. Mm-hmm. Instead of using the uh, the helicopters transporting them, well, even that I think slower. would be. Well, I think that is is even cool too. But I'm talking like you know, like let's say they had rockets in their feet or something like that. You know, like to um, transport them. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I love these kaiju designs. I had, and I forget what their names are, but I had a, a toy for a short bit of time of the kaiju where um, it has sort of that enclosure face deal with the teeth. I'll point it out when we get to it here. But then I got rid of it. <laughs> I do like the final form that they that they have. Oh man. I almost bought that off of um right there in the middle. That's what I had. Yeah, because right I here think, in the middle of the street. Because I think these fuse fuse with one another if I remember correctly. But um I remember Big Bad Toy Store was doing pre-orders for some of these at one point, and I almost put in the pre-order for the final form of of the kaiju that they do here. So Stephen S. DeKnight, the director of this film, had a bit of writing. mainly on television and this at the is his first and so far only direct directorial film um i think he does a wonderful job here i think he pays homage to the first film but also does a good job again of expanding the universe but i think probably because this film financially didn't do all that well uh i i think sadly it may have made him a bit toxic perhaps uh for other directorial jobs i hope that's not true but i wouldn't be surprised if that was the case because sadly that's how this crap works mm-hmm. sometimes anyways
It's just a backhanded slap, and it sends the Jaeger going like 10 blocks. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that needs to be mentioned, too, is obviously with a number of films, you get some sort of comic relief. And I love how they do it in this film. John Boyega's Jake Pentecost uh, has just some natural... um, jokiness about his character comes off very natural and then here too what we just saw a moment ago with the Jaeger just tapping a car there for a second and then it sets out the car alarm just little things like that and the thing is though too they don't beat you over the head with um a lot of um of the um comic relief because there are some films that just beat you over the head with it and i do like the marvel films but one of my biggest complaints with them and this happens throughout a vast majority of their films is that the comic relief seems to come at you almost all the time and in a lot of cases with that too they they keep recycling the same one or two jokes throughout a decent chunk of the film and that always kind of turns me off with quite a few of those but um it's perfect and same even with the first pacific rim film uh it wasn't overkill it was it, it wasn't sort of in your face and repetitive you know it's just it's great yeah Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so did I. (laughs) Another thing that I love about this final battle is that you – it's in the middle of a city. We're seeing real estate being destroyed as well. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember for me, uh, one of the things as a kid when I first became a kaiju fan, outside of just seeing Godzilla use his breath all the time, which I was obsessed with as a kid, it was how many buildings are we going to see destroyed? And if little or no buildings were destroyed, I considered that part a huge disappointment. Uh, but, you know, as you get older, you know, things change and your tastes and all that. But, um, you know, I still love seeing real estate. Um, being destroyed. It's it's not as big of a deal for me as it was when I was a kid, but um, it's still, from an aesthetic standpoint, still fun to, to look at. Mm-hmm. And then now we have uh, Dr. Newt, Charlie Day's character, deploying these little drones that now that I remember that fuse these uh, three kaiju into a humongous monster at the end. But that, that's about. such a cool kaiju too. Yeah. I just love, I, I love again, I've said this a couple times already, but I can't stress it enough how much I love the fact that they are expanding this universe and just doing some new things here. Mm-hmm. Enjoy this. I wonder how badly that hurts. Like, you're these three kaiju, right? And you have these little insect-like deals eating away at you and fusing you together with two other creatures. Like, what happens to you? Like, 
are one or two of you dead, you know, as this happens? Or, like, do you somehow come together? If so, how does that work? <laughs> I know I'm thinking too much into this, but it's just something I think about once in a while. And look at how, look at this beautiful thing. It's so cool and so huge. Yeah, I think so far within this Pacific Rim universe, this one's obviously the largest one. At the moment, yeah, until if and ever they make part three. And just even it roaring just sort of decimates the that one street there. And then the cinematography here is pretty cool. I love the fact, too, that it's similar once again to the first Pacific Rim, but I will argue on some level it's done a bit better here where you have each Jaeger not only has different abilities, but they have different weapons, too. And you sort of had that in the first film, but it was more subtle. Um, and and the changes on some weren't as obvious and in fact in many cases they were almost the same the only thing that was was different was that some were slower some were faster and yeah they had maybe different weapons but here it's more apparent than what it was in that um, first film and this is so cool here yeah see here how big this kaiju is I do. Oh man, this is such a beautiful kaiju. I said it's beautiful, meaning that I think it's a cool design. But it is a bad guy, so it does need to get destroyed. <laughs> I guess apparently my son thought beautiful was a bad thing. <laughs> that is sad right there, seeing uh, that cadet getting killed. His co-pilot got killed right there. He's the hand. Well, they just showed it there in the foreground, but I don't think they're showing it anymore here. Well, got killed when the kaiju was beating up their Jaeger. Well, I'll throw them around and then throw them into a bunch of buildings. There we go. <laughs> you can tell I haven't watched this in a while because <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> sort of like the uh, the Heisei Godzilla with a second brain. Well, and I think, too, with paleontology, they believe that the sauropods may have had a secondary brain just because of how big they got. Mm -hmm. We got Lincoln over here reenacting what's going on. <laughs> That's a kaiju I would love to see in a Godzilla film, see Godzilla fight. <clears throat> Well, I know Del Toro has been sort of rooting for a 
Monster First Pacific Rim <laughs> crossover. Maybe that's what we might get after Godzilla vs. Kong. Who knows? Doubtful, but, you know, we'll find out. Yeah. Look at this thing. I mean, this thing is literally tearing it rim, <laughs> limb from, from limb, limb without a whole lot of effort. Those escape pods are really cool, too, how they design those. So this thing has probably all together, what, 10 eyes? I don't know. Yeah, see, it's sort of cool that they have a Gundam statue right there. Yeah. Well, they try when they can. Busted. No, because they escaped. Escape pods. Look at how big that thing is just compared to this. Well, just just him. picks it up. No effort. Body slams it. Well, and him grabbing that last robot and just ripping it from Lynn, from Lynn there. He's just going through it like nothing there. Although I will say we get a stereotypical trope of kind of the, the hero gets beat up, but for some odd reason gets treated with some type of kid glove from the opponent. Whereas the other one showed, whereas the opponent showed no mercy with the others. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because he's being controlled by the precursors who are controlling that. I can't pause it, but we're doing a commentary, which means we got to keep going. Yeah, why do you have to go to the bathroom? Then go. I'm sorry, but it would have been funny. Ah, and drops and then splat. (laughs) (laughs) Movie's over, bud. No, it's not. 
So, but doesn't that take away the emergency escape pod? Should Amara need to use it? Well, yeah, because there yeah, be one <laughs> just, pod yeah. left. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just you know, it's not like they they just you know keep a, a series of them in there. No, they only just have two built in, just for <laughs> those that are piloting. <laughs> Now, I probably missed it, but um, I think what it's trying to do is open up Mount Fuji and and bring about another rift. Is that it? Maybe. I didn't quite catch it. They were talking yeah. about this earlier. Maybe we just need to shut up more. <laughs> Or just pay attention. <laughs> well, we do, but we're talking so much about different things, and we get on some of these tangents, even some that are related to the film, and we just miss things. <laughs> that is cool. I do think that's pretty cool. You're a goofy guy. I remember there were a number of fans uh, because China and Japan sort of are um, aggressive is not the appropriate word, but they're sort of there's there's a little bit of tension between them. You know, the legendary is is owned by the chinese they believe that part of the reason if not the main reason that the final battle was in tokyo was because china was like oh you know we're gonna have them destroy japan and tokyo and all that but i'm like no because they're trying to save it here you have this shao industry ceo joining the fight and trying to save it. Now, maybe you could argue that, hey, you need the Chinese to come and save you. But, you know, I don't see where there's this antagonistic um, side to this film. I, I don't see that here. I'm sure she heard you making all those bangs as you were reenacting what was going on a bit ago. And this, that, make her know that we're in the podcast? She knows I'm doing it, but I'm sure she heard you and as a result knows you're up here. Doing the Superman pose. Now, by the way, this one was done by Universal. The first one, I believe, was done by Warner Brothers, correct? Uh, let's see here. If that, I'm pretty sure that's the case, but if it is, why did that happen? Like, did Warner Brothers 
not want to like yeah Warner Brothers Pictures for the first one that's interesting that Universal now did this one yeah let's see here sequels yeah well I know that there is that partnership with Universal Legendary yeah, but Legendary, though, has partnered up with Warner Brothers to do Pacific Rim, and they're doing these three Godzilla movies. They did Kong. Well, I think that was because I know that they had a previous partnership. So, and then, of course, with the MonsterVerse films, I think that they're. It was still a partnership from previous times. But then why is it universal for this one and not Warner again? Beats me. I'm not sure if uh, Pacific Rim was part of the deal or what. I don't know. I'm not part of that whole thing. It's Mount Fuji. You've seen Mount Fuji in some of the Godzilla movies. Is it going to go in that I think it's trying I forget we forget what it's trying to do we think it's trying to create another rift or something it's another rift. to bring more monsters in kaboom I can't tell what happened there. Oh, uh, robot. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, I didn't know what, what happened. I mean, to the kaiju. I thought I'm like it didn't. It couldn't have died yet. Oh, maybe it did. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now I see why. <laughs> now what happened? Got busted in half. All but, well, yeah, all but one, more or less. funny if the camera got too close and then hits her face. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Del Toro originally had ideas for a sequel and saying then it was going to be maybe released with Universal. And then in July 2015, it was reported that filming um, was to begin in November, but then it had there were conflicts between Universal and Legendary. And then it was indefinitely delayed as a result. Um, and then after the sale of Legendary to Chinese Wanda Group for $3.5 billion, observers noted an increased likelihood of Pacific Rim 2 budget being revitalized because the film was so success- the first film was so successful in China. Um, 
So, yeah, it doesn't really say exactly. It just said, you know, they just went to Universal and that was it. It's this one is almost an exact mirror image of what happens at the end of Independence Day Resurgence. Sort of. And there we go. That is Independence Day. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, okay, son. Okay. <laughs> Jason, you take over. <laughs> take over for what? <laughs> that is the end of Pacific Rim <laughs> Uprising. <laughs> Independence Independence Day. Uprising. <laughs> Boy, someone someone oh, needs a drink. <laughs> well, I've mentioned that, you know, a couple times throughout this podcast, how in some ways this film mirrored uh, that film in a couple of spots. But, um, yeah, that's Pacific Rim Uprising. So, Jason, this is your second time watching this. Actually, here, let's quickly get Lincoln's take on it because this won't take long. Lincoln, uh, what would you think of Independence Day? <laughs> Jeez, what do you think of Pacific Rim Uprising? As cool as the Flash. As cool as the Flash? <laughs> oh, okay, I've never heard that one either. By the way, folks, these are the only drinks I have here. They're bubbly, sparkling wise. That's all I are got. They... And I didn't even open up this one. <laughs> let me let me just ask you, did you not spike? No, I didn't. That- no, no, I don't. No, I like I said, I'm I mean, look, I don't know if anybody can tell, like I've gained weight. I'm trying to lose weight. So like I said, I'm on my sixth day without a drop of alcohol. So I'm pretty proud of that. But anyways, Jason, what did you think of Pacific Rim Uprising? Um, I've after seeing this uh, for the first time since the first viewing in theaters in about a few years, I think, uh, from what I've seen, I think I still have maybe sort of the same feeling as the last time where I think that this is, I would say, above average, in my opinion. I, As far as the cinematography, the visual effects, and the fight sequences in this movie... In my opinion, I think it's a little bit better than the first one, but as far as the story for it, yeah, it could there could be some improvements and then some of the characters. I think there should have been maybe a little bit more development uh, here and there, but yeah, for Pacific Rim Uprising, I think uh, I still have the same feeling towards it from the first viewing where I think that this film is above average. I I do still like this film. I really like it. In fact, I think this may be, um, again, I don't remember too much about how I felt about it the last time. I mean, obviously, like I said, I've always enjoyed this film, but I think I may have, may like it 
more than I ever have after this viewing. I still think um, this is a movie that 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 just never got the appreciation that I believe it should within the the Western kaiju circles um, because I, I just think it's it's an entertaining film. I understand that you don't have the the same cast. Some people are upset with Mako, but I think that was a, a nice sort of thing to do because again, it raises the the stakes uh, in the film. Um, I, I like the kaiju design. I think Obsidian Fury was a nice change. We, I like how this film not only continues the awesomeness that Del Toro started, but I like the fact that it expands it. It's not some sort of carbon copy of the first film like you get with quite a few sequels over the course of film history. And then I also uh, liked how they did more of the robot and robot Gundam-esque battles in this one this time around, and as well as going about the Edongelion route where they infuse some of the like, organic matter with uh, the robot yeah. exoskeleton and then sort of transfusing or transforming those uh, ro- robot exoskeletons into the, like the deformed kaiju drone. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's really goofy, but at the same time, I think it's really cool. It looks cool. It's a lot of fun, and like you said, I think it pays homage to that uh, sect of the the viewing audience as well because, you know, people who are into that sort of thing very likely are seeing this film. And we saw the Gundam statue uh, for a moment there towards uh, in the final battle. There are homages to Tokusatsu and, and a couple of those animes as well. Um, I love the fact that those little drones come in at the end and fuse those three kaiju together and that the three brains end up playing a role in the kaiju as well. I mean, they, they put thought into this thing. It's not just a, a slapdash B-movie sort of thing, although even on that level, it would still be entertaining. It wouldn't be as good, but mm. this is a very competent effort. I think Stephen S. DeKnight, uh, for his so far one and only directorial uh, film did a good job on this. I really like what he did, and um, this is a, a fun film. I, I still am scratching my head as to why this didn't quite get the the love um, that I really th- thought it would have, and I think it does deserve out of the fan community. And, and again, I understand some of the the complaints some people have, but I think compared with some other. Uh, films we've gotten over the years. This one, I, I think it's on par by and large. Sure, the characters um, may not be as fleshed out as what we got in the first Pacific Rim, but they're still good. I think they're still memorable. I think, obviously, uh, Jake, Pentecost, and Amara are the most memorable. Well, and then, you know, Eastwood, Scott Eastwood's character as well uh, comes off being pretty memorable, too. Um, but I think, too, the action here is done well. And, I, and like I've said before many times throughout this commentary, I love how this movie continues to expand the world. It wasn't until this viewing, um, you know, paying a bit closer attention that I re- didn't realize to 
they expanded this Pacific Rim universe. I know they did. I mean, it's right there on film, but there are some some things that are so subtle and elusively obvious that you just kind of miss them. And I never realized how much they expanded. And I love it. I really – it would be great if at some point we got a, a third and maybe final film uh, for this because I really think that there's a lot going on here. I do enjoy the film. I think it's fun and entertaining. Uh I am disappointed in myself that I haven't gone back to watch this one more over the last uh, couple of years. I think that's that's about to change. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm sort of surprised with myself that I never got the chance to buy the, the movie on uh, physical media because I mean I did with the first one and. I'm sort of surprised that I never even taken the chance or even think about uh, <laughs> buying buying the physical media of this one. But uh, I know I've told you earlier before we started the episode here that I was looking at the uh, the local Best Buy uh, online, searching to see if they had uh, the movie available, and they do for like the 4K version in their. Right now that they've got three of them left for twelve bucks for four K. Pick it up, and that's, dude. And that's and that's a pretty good deal. Even Pick it especially, up, <laughs> especially for four K nowadays. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see because I mean, right now it's butt cold out there. <laughs> right now, it's, you know, when it comes to Minnesota, it's going to be butt cold during this time of the year. So. You can see what Amazon is doing and seeing if if the price match or if they, you get a better deal there too. So there's uh, that let's, option. Let's find out here since I'm so while you're doing that, I'm going to give people an update. Um, the last time uh, we had a commentary, it was uh, King Kong. Um, Jason and I had decided after that. Um, so, commentary. So I was just looking here, and they do have it on Amazon for twelve bucks. So it's up to you. <laughs> and even the, even the first, even that they had the first one on four K, but uh, a little bit uh, expensive for seventeen bucks. I, you know, new movies used to cost like 25 or so bucks. So, you know, it depends on like the format and all that as well. But uh, what we added to our schedule, we added for March 20th a King Kong versus Godzilla commentary. This is to sort of uh, usher in and celebrate uh, the upcoming Godzilla versus Kong uh, movie. And this is the American edit. This is not the Japanese just because Lincoln – not Lincoln. Jason doesn't have the Japanese edit of that film. So we are so, doing the American edit of that film commentary uh, for March 20th. March 20th, okay, because I didn't have that written down on my – notes here yeah so king kong versus god and so what is coming up next here in a couple of weeks we're continuing our string of commentaries we are returning back to daimajin for return of daimajin 
It's the second film in the Daimajin trilogy. If you guys remember, I think it was like last it was last spring or summer we did I think it was that we did the first film and for whatever reason we never finished off that trilogy of films typically that's what we do uh, for something like a trilogy Um, you know because there are only a few films so we just kind of hit them in succession but for whatever reason we didn't do that with Daimajin. So that's what we're going to do. And that, uh, crap, I closed it out. That is coming up here on February 20th. And then March, then March 7th. 7th is Daimajin Strikes Back. That's the third and final film. Then it's going to be, uh, again, like I just said, King Kong versus Godzilla to kind of usher in the Godzilla versus Kong film and, and kind of celebrate that film. And then after that, we don't quite know exactly what we're going to do next. Um, didn't, didn't we mention about possibly doing uh, was it the Godzilla versus Khan discussion in a week after the, uh, the King Kong yeah. commentary? Either that or do it ASAP uh, because the film is coming out in just under a week after we do that commentary. Um, yeah, so I know going- we were going because I know we were going to do that uh, discussion the day after that movie comes out. Because I know, well, well, it comes out the last day of March, which lands on a Wednesday. So, um, probably would maybe have to do that. Maybe that's Saturday on April third. Yeah. So uh, the, at the moment, that's what we could uh, look look at doing. And then I've been uh, talking with Jason a, a, a little bit over the last couple of days about how he's going to watch the film. I've since I've got HBO Max as part of my cable um, package. I, I'm that's how I'm watching is through HBO Max. And one of the things Jason and I are discussing is the possibility. <laughs> of maybe doing a commentary on that film as well should he decide to do like an HBO Max deal um, as well. Well, probably we'll just discuss the movie first. Right, we're discussing the movie first. And then I I would say the next episode after that would be the commentary because from what I'm thinking, um, thinking about renting a theater room just to see this movie because I think just seeing it just on a, you know, uh, TV uh, that I've got, I don't think the viewing of it is just going to do justice for it. I think just seeing it in the theater, ex- having the theater experience of it, I think it's probably going to be a little bit different. It'll be good, but let me tell you something. We got a sound bar and one of those sound- subwoofers for our TV, you know, in the in the family room. When Wonder Woman 84 came out, I was not only stunned by how beautiful the film looked and granted yes it's not a you know movie theater screen but it it looked beautiful and the sound quality was amazing like i never have heard my subwoofer work as hard as it did every time i've watched that movie like well warner brothers they realize for the home viewing to make it to just on some level try to duplicate the theater experience they did they are doing a hell of a job with these films. Well, I I also have a soundbar and a subwoofer package for my thing. But I think you me, would be impressed. But then with me being in an apartment, to try not to be as loud, 
they can sort of I'll screw your neighbors upstairs. Come on, man. They keep bugging you. (laughs) Well, maybe when we do the commentary, because I'm going to eventually have to subscribe to HBO Max just to do this, uh, to do that. So, well, you get a seven day trial, so you could do the trial and then that's it if you want. So, well, we'll see when it gets to that point, obviously. Yeah. um, Yeah. So I want to. Do the the theater experience just to so uh, sort of get uh, different opinions on the experience when we discuss Godzilla versus Khan and stuff. Obviously, I'm probably gonna you know gonna be the only one in that theater room if I do decide to go to that route, which is gonna be probably gonna be a strong likely as of right now. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so at least get different opinions or. Uh, experiences to uh, discuss when we get to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that, thank you so much for listening or watching with us. We hope you enjoyed our commentary at Pacific Rim Uprising, and uh, we enjoyed it. Uh, you know, so check it out. And we will see you guys in a couple of weeks when we come back to Daimajin for Return of Daimajin. All right. Take care, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>